you know, Pro, and this isn't just the watch industry, but computers and everything. Pro has just been destroyed as a term. It doesn't mean anything anymore, like nothing. So when, when you see it now being applied to stuff, you're like, that's nothing. Like, I want to be awesome versus I want it to look very familiar and very well established. Designers need direction. I, a lot of them aren't given enough direction other than make it look like we've already made it before, okay? This week on a blog to watch weekly with Rick and Ariel, the boys ask if the Tudor Black Bay Pro GMT is the world's best indoor sports watch. There are reviews of the latest from Cartier, Zenith and Fortis. Rick wonders if there's any weight loss program he can go on so he can pull off the new 34mm watch from Audemars Piguet. And we have a mystery guest. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to this week's well-oiled machine that is a blog to watch weekly. This week I'm here, Rick, and Ariel is actually here. That's not necessarily how it went yesterday when we were supposed to be recording, but... Scheduling errors, Richard. Scheduling errors. If only you could buy devices that allowed you to understand what time it was in two different time zones. Maybe someone will invent one of them one day. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to be getting some rest soon and waking up and going to Las Vegas and I'm wearing a very Las Vegas watch on my wrist right now. Okay, let me guess, let me guess, 20 questions. So it's by a small brand? Yeah. It is over 44 mil? No. Oh, it is under 42? Yeah. What I thought was going to be an easy and straightforward game is actually it's not going to (laughs) Just tell us what the watch is. (laughs) It's the Artia Sapphire Diver. Give me my next guess. Look, what Artia has done is very interesting from a uh, aesthetic standpoint. They've taken the look and feel of essentially a Submariner, made their own dial entirely. It doesn't look like a Submariner dial. And they've made a jewelry item. So it like has the shape and proportions of a classic tool watch, which is a very trendy thing, but it's in an orange colored sapphire crystal case. The bezel is fixed. You can't turn it. And they said that this was because they didn't want you to see the hardware, which they felt was sort of ugly. They could do it. They might do versions with that. But they chose to make a fixed bezel just so it's one part for aesthetic purposes. The watch is gorgeous. I mean, if there's anyone out there that thinks that plastic and sapphire crystal have anything in common outside of how they might appear from 10 feet away, it is totally uh, false. Uh, This is a completely different thing, especially the second you touch it. The dial is aventurine, and it's, you know, pretty legible. It doesn't look like any other Artia to date, but Yvonne Arpa, whose brand it is, is a person who has a great legacy in making sport watches. Uh, which is another conversation entirely. And he was someone on the Superlative podcast. But just suffice it to say, he's a very accomplished sport watch designer. And here he is at his best making a sport jewelry watch. And it's a a lovely thing. It's expensive, $45,000. But it's hard not to really, really like it and feel that it's a winning concept. So good for him as one of my favorite sort of contemporary watch design personalities out there. Yeah, I think I've seen this on your Instagram account. What's your Instagram channel so that everyone can look at it? That's Ariel to watch. I've seen the photos on there. And, you know, £45,000 for a dive watch that you can't turn the bezel. If you can afford that, you can probably buy like a Christopher Ward for a grand. Wear it on your other wrist with a nice dive bezel if you really need one. Yeah, it's not a sport watch, but it's 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 like a jewellery item that looks like one. (laughs) 
It's an interpretation of a sports watch. I like it. It looks cool. Looks really cool. I thought I'd seen it in more than one color. Well, this product is one that they're going to make a bunch of different versions of. There's metal versions, which I've seen, different case sizes and things like this. This Wave Collection, as they're going to call it, or they might give it different names, is going to be a brand new family that he's going to explore for a while. You know, he's very much like an artist like Picasso, where he has like a phase. And so he Uh gets into a phase and then he'll do it for a few years and be bored of it and maybe he'll come back to it. But he's sort of in a let's go back to the dive watch phase, but do it in an Artia way. The Wave version, which is another one which I had a chance to check out, has an enamel dial that looks like rippling water, like a small section of water that you just sort of dropped a small pebble in or something and the ripples in this beautiful blue enamel. And they developed a mold which sits on top of the enamel so that when it bakes, it has these natural wave patterns that are the ripples, so it's actually a wave thing, and it's a dive watch dial, and it's 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 so gorgeous. I mean, it's really, really nice. I'm a sucker for sport watches that have very pretty dials. You know, this is something that I'm into, and, and Yvonne figured out a new way of doing it that no one's seen before, good for him, which is great. It's going to take a while for people to recognize or even know about these because the brand isn't even known for this. It's a small brand, but even then, it's not even known for anything like this at all. So <laughs> that's Yvonne. Good. So go check out some of the photos on Ariel's Instagram account. You want to see that. Uh, why are you going to Las Vegas? Anything watch related? Yes, we're going to the Couture show where there's going to be um, at least a dozen, maybe two dozen brands that we're going to see, see some new watches, do a lot of business meetings, but um, there's going to be a lot of great content which is going to come out of it. We're going to learn about a lot of things that brands are doing and, and plan out some great uh, content pieces and trips. So it's going to be um, a, a really productive time over the win we'll probably see a lot of enthusiasts because a lot of collectors go out there so anyone from the audience we see we look forward to, to, to seeing you and richard i think you're gonna have to come out next year yes i think uh, las vegas sounds like a great idea considering that we have had our summer in scotland this year it was at least a saturday it was last saturday when it was 22 degrees it is now back to just pouring with rain and as david would like to tell us the hail coming horizontally at us so yeah we, we've had our summer so the idea of coming to the endless summer that is las vegas sounds like a very nice idea as i'm sitting here with a two kilowatt fan heater at my feet while recording this so yeah i'm, I'm all up for going to las vegas in a year's time in other news and this is reported by our friends at watch pro by rob and the gang watchbox have announced that they are opening in london and that means they're going to be directly taking on what I suppose is viewed as maybe their biggest competitor, the Richemont-owned watch finder. What do we think about this? Is this just the natural evolution of what Watchbox are about? They need to be in the UK. UK is no longer in the EU, so they can't really service the United Kingdom quite as easily as they once did. You're well in with the people at Watchbox. You know them all quite well. What do you think their thinking is? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things to talk about here. There's a lot of calculated decisions that have been made. You know, a company like Watchbox can't really afford to screw up too many times because there's just a lot of optics on them and, and, and there's also a lot of hesitancy in the space. They have stakeholders and they have, you know, a investor mentality there where there's people they have to make happy. So they have objectives and goals and things like that. And growth and success and, and, and demonstration of, of enterprise value is something that is very important to them. Watchbox has already expanded into multiple markets, and it's unclear the range of things they do, but it's a lot. They buy watches, they sell watches, 
Uh, they develop local relationships with retailers to acquire inventory or to sell pre-owned. They're like an all-purpose shop, a clearinghouse, if you will, for, for pre-owned timepieces and, and new ones as well, actually, through you know Govberg, which is a, a related company. So new watches are something that their, their other arm also does. The UK, as you said, is no longer part of the EU, and having an office there is necessary to serve that market. They've also taken the opportunity to open up a retail space, which I think is increasingly important because finding customers is hard. Online especially can be challenging, and I think that going to retail is a declaration that e-commerce is a huge challenge. It's not easy to do, and maybe just having a physical presence is a good idea again, and I agree it is. There are no longer enough really cool watch stores. And so to have a place where you can buy pre-owned stuff and this and that is great. I don't know how they do on pricing. I know they have some watches which are more than retail and they have plenty of watches that are great value. I don't know how they price or how they select what goes in the stores. So I would say that the curation of items in there can have a, a drastic effect on what their personality is like and the value to the market and, and who's going to buy there. But I think it's good to see companies like that you know, invest in the market because that's what they need to do because otherwise the brands have all the power. And Danny Goberg, who's who's a major part of Watchbox, has always been an advocate of strong retailers. And in the UK has already strong retailers. Watches of Switzerland, you know, is is a, is a is a massively powerful group there. And there are other groups. You know, I think for the size of the market, there's a lot of strong luxury retail groups in the UK. So it's always really been an important market and there will always be money coming in there. there is, that is the anticipation of more tourism coming back because that's always been a big part of it is foreign money coming in. It's not surprising per se and it is sort of an evolution of Watchbox being again a clearinghouse for buying and selling pre-owned watches which is part of their long-term strategy. They believe very heavily that there's a lot of money to be made all around the ecosystem of this from buying them or selling them or repairing them or rebuying them or reselling them. You know, they see wristwatches as sort of this revolving door. They go out to someone and that person sells it back to you and then you sell it to someone else. You can make money on the same thing a bunch of times. Anyways, it's it's an interesting world. They're still trying to figure it out like everyone else, but that's really what all the excitement's about. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they choose to open in London. Watch uh, Finder have a premises in London, but it's kind of a bit out of the way in relation to the rest of the watch store that are mostly kind of new Bond Street, Soho, etc. So it'll be interesting to see if Watchfinder plunk themselves right down in the centre of where all the main retailers are in London or whether they, you know, go for a bit more cheap and cheerful office space. There's not a lot in London right now. London used to be much more robust of a place to buy watches. I mean, you have all the major... You know, mono brand boutiques, but in terms of like multi brand stores, yeah, there's watches in Switzerland, sure, but it's not like kind of cool hip stuff. It's a lot of mainstream luxury. It's got to be there somewhere in London. I mean, I know it is, but there's some stores there that really no longer exist. You would think that if Watch Box do it right in terms of the presentation, they're going to be able to show off some watches that the watch geeks such as us will really quite like to go in and have a look at. And if they manage to make it a kind of friendly environment, where that's possible rather than a really intense sales environment then I think they could probably gain quite a lot of traction in the UK because the reality is that the first thing they need to do is make it friendly for the watch geeks and it's once that happens that word spreads to the watch geeks friends to other people effectively in the city of London and beyond so if they can manage to make something that is inviting to go in and explore 
just the range of watches that they will have access to rather than it just being a kind of intense appointment only sort of thing which was certainly the case last time I looked at Watch Finder uh, in my local area you effectively had to make an appointment to go and see them it was like this is just too much hassle I just want to be able to turn up to a shop go in and have a look at what they've got so yeah. we shall see what happens there uh, later in the year so let's get on with the rest of the show one of the watches we talked about this last week on a blog to watch was a new Cartier watch we saw at Watches and Wonders that was an extension of the Santos Dumont. Didn't really have a specific name associated with it. I mean, of course, they have their own reference numbers, but they don't really call them anything special. And there's um there's a steel version, which is non-limited, and there's uh, some precious metal ones, including gold and in platinum. What's special about these watches is the way the case is decorated, and it has an inlaid uh, lacquered section or enamel section that has a, a darker color. So for example, the steel one has black and the dial has this design of these concentric squares that go, of course, with the, the square case. They're beautiful looking. It's an interesting, artistic, it's very high design. You know, it doesn't look like something you get away with wearing every day necessarily, but they are very fashionable dress watches. The platinum one, which is you know, quite expensive and quite, you know, not produced in a lot of pieces is probably the most interesting. You have the platinum material with red, sort of a burgundy red, very strong color inlaid in the bezel in the case with a white silver dial, a ruby cabochon and a matching red alligator strap. It is a absolutely stunning, not large. It is a Santos Dumont case piece, but it's it's a lovely collection. For those of you that like, you know, sport watches and Cartier, nothing like that right now. This watch, and again, it's a small dress watch, 5,100 euros in steel. 16,000 in platinum, which I guess in the scheme of platinum, wa platinum watches isn't terribly low. It's not a huge watch, but it's really a, a, a nice collection for someone who maybe wears sleeves or likes dress watches and likes that, that classic look. So definitely a crowd pleaser, you know, not, not too much storytelling behind it, but it's just a simple and satisfying luxury dress watch from Cartier. Yeah, I thought these were a bit undersold at Watches and Wonders, considering just how gorgeous they are. I thought they would be more kind of everybody talking about them because they are quite special looking. Now, explain to me just to get the categories right. So the Cartier Santos, the one I like and I've tried on a number of times and is in the category of watches I almost like to buy is the one that has the date function on it. So that's the large version. Is that just a Cartier Santos mega date or something? Yeah, so the Santos Dumont and the Santos are two different watches. They share an overall sort of design, but the Santos Dumont is a smaller, thinner, more traditional dress watch, and the Santos is larger, sportier, has a couple different iterations, you know, a three hand and a chronograph and stuff like that. But that's sort of how they're distinguished. The Santos Dumont is, like I said, the thinner dressier one. This has a manually wound movement from Piaget, nothing fancy, you know, like a not even 40 hours of power reserve. Uh, right. you, would, you wouldn't buy this watch for the movement. Right. Okay. So, I mean, they are absolutely gorgeous. The red is stunning. It's kind of like Carte thought, looked at what was going on in the watch world with all these colors and thought, no, no, we're a bit more classy than just throwing these colors onto the dial. Although we'll do that as well. We'll actually make the case part of the color scheme and it works incredibly well. It's not a novel concept. I mean, you have 
Richard Mille, who from time to time has had cases and dials that go together. Hublot has done this. It's, you know, something that a brand like Cartier that doesn't have like a bunch of ceramic cases is shy to do. It's a very French way of doing it. But again, they take their time. They experiment with this technique. It allows them to still have metal in there, which is something that they want. And and I think we've all agreed it's it's a beautiful result. And which is your, your favorite one that you saw is the red, is the platinum? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to really like that watch. It's very, you know, eye-catching, very stunning. It's a, I, I like that burgundy. I wear it quite a bit. It's, it's a very chic color for uh, a variety of, of styles. Red is an interesting watch color because considering it's such a popular color, you know, in the world, there's not a lot of red watches in comparison to blues and greens and obviously blacks and whites. So it, it does stand out really well. Well, let's back up. Part of that is because red is like the international color for, you know, have a little accent. So red has a different relationship. It's not a rare color because it's it's been there on dials forever. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's people have seen red so much. It's very rare when someone's like, you know, we need more red in watches because it's just like so present. So go and check out Ariel's article on the Santos Dumont. I agree with you. 16 grand for a platinum watch. That's, I mean, dare I say that almost seems cheap in comparison to the price lift. How dare you call Cartier cheap? Cartier, you cheapskates, you imagine only producing a 16 grand platinum watch. Go go and sit in the corner and have a word for yourselves. Watch like five weeks from now, the price is going to be up like by another uh, 3,000 Listen, the way euros. prices are going up just now, it could have doubled in about three weeks. How much will it cost you to drive to Vegas? Like what's fuel doing over there just now? Rather not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't well, feel good it, nothing i can say will do anything about it i just gotta kind of go along with the punches at this point all right if, if you would just stop driving your monster trucks it would probably help why, why would that help <laughs> <laughs> they're freaking awesome man yeah, well see this is the problem with the, that kind of you know desire to go to these nice wee electric cars is they're just not awesome enough they need to make them awesome once you go awesome once anyone has seen awesome how do you go backwards it's like with watches you know you've had a really nice watch and someone's like okay you got it. like the best you can do is something that's sold on on, on on tv late at night that's the best watch that we can give to you you're going to be very disappointed well there we go there's a segue for you for the next watch we're going to uh -oh. talk about Next up then, talking of awesome, or I don't know, I think David who wrote this article in the Tudor Black Bay Pro, I think he was expecting the Pro to represent a level of awesomeness that possibly hasn't really appeared. So this is his hands-on review. David, I believe, is a big Black Bay fan in general, and I think when he heard that there was a Pro version, he was expecting the traditional Black Bay, effectively with go-faster stripes, you know, more shock-resistant movement, better water resistance, better bracelet. But instead, I think he's disappointed in that he got a watch that, I think the way it was described somewhere, I think was like, it encapsulates the spirit of professionalism rather than actually being a watch for professionals. He has some debate in the article about if this is your professional watch, what is your profession? I think he settled on, like, high-rise window cleaner 
as being as opposed to deep sea diver or astronaut there you go for the pro uh, you've obviously tried this on at watches and wonders what do you think of it what do you think of the article i always like giving david a platform to just share his unfiltered opinion about things uh david and i have an interesting relationship with tutor that goes back many years <laughs> it's a lot of hilarity to be honest we we like tutor a lot i think that the strange relationship between tutor and rolex is always amusing because it's not allowed to say that rolex owns tutor even though that's kind of true um <laughs> you know it's, what, do you, what do you mean kind of true it's actually true yeah surely. but they're always like no we're just we're part we have the same owner the foundation we're we're separate we make all our own decisions oh, right, like okay. like they're constantly trying to say like no we do our own thing no one tells us what to do and like sometimes you're like but it really looks like it <laughs> surely you had to get permission from rolex to produce the truder pro that looks like the original explorer i mean look they make very lovely looking watches you know they're not all beauty queen winners but there's a you know Tudor is a really good investment if you're just getting into Swiss watches. You can buy them, unlike a lot of Rolexes, for the money. They're really, really great. But they play it so safe. David desperately wants Tudor to look forward a little bit. They were doing it for a while. We got a taste of it with like that ceramic watch, the Black Shield. It wasn't yeah. a great watch, but it was it was it was cool. And of course the Pelagos. And then Tudor's just been like utterly stuck in the past. And he's like, what gives Tudor? Like you know, pro, and this isn't just the watch industry, but all kinds of everything from computers and everything. Pro has just been destroyed as a term. It doesn't mean anything <laughs> anymore, like nothing. So when when you see it now being applied to stuff, you're like, that's nothing. Like all that means is there's a non-pro version out there and that barely means anything at, at this point. <laughs> I, I think what David wanted was a Tudor watch that took sport watches again in a future looking direction in a way that Rolex would never do. And I think a lot of people agree. And with a name like Black Bay Pro, that could have been this. Instead, it's a GMT, great. Like the world needs more GMTs. I mean, there's so many freaking GMTs out there. Like it's well, insane. after after yesterday and us, we both need a GMT. Clearly, <laughs> I need reminders. You know, I need a smartwatch. Apparently, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's give up this mechanical watch malarkey. It's useless. So, if you had been in charge of the design and you had been told by the the bosses at Tudor <coughs> Stroke Rolex, design something with the name Pro in it, and you can use the Black Bay as your reference. What would you have done to make that a proper watch that deserved the title pro? I think the thing is I would first take the word pro out because that doesn't mean anything. And I would say like... <laughs> Ultra. Yeah, or Black Bay <laughs> Modern or Black Bay Cool. Uh -huh. I mean, I know those are cheesy terms, <laughs> the, but I think... The Black Bay Awesome. Yeah, but I, I literally, the designers know what that means. They're like, I want to be awesome versus I want it to look very familiar and very well established designers need direction i a lot of them aren't given enough direction other than make it look like we've already made it before okay <laughs> that's basically the direction if that was the direction that was a success in terms of this watch so do you actually like it yeah it's fine look if you were like okay ariel you're going on an adventure and you need some type of a sport watch and you gave me a selection of things there's a very good chance i would have chosen this or if you just said okay ariel you're going to the jungle you need you need this I'd be fine with it. Is it like the first thing I would choose? No, just because it doesn't have like crazy durability features. Like you can get watches at this price point with very scratch resistant cases and all kinds of fancy things going on here and there. And this is a very traditional by design watch. It's handsome. 
It's super non-offensive. I think that it's specifically designed to be in smart, casual situations, right? Like, it's not actually a sport watch. Like, it's got suit, business, office, colors written all over it. It's actually, in a lot of sense, like the perfect indoor sport watch. (laughs) There we go. That's the definition you need to give the designers. Design me the perfect indoor sports watch. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean it's you, you see what I, I mean look the the one that it's based off of was for spelunking which is well kind of indoors yeah i've always wondered how they came up with the term spelunking to describe going into caves like where how, how I, I figured it happen? out i figured it out this the skyscaper dweller the skyscaper dweller <laughs> uh, I, I should really edit that out we should save that for next april <laughs> no i already got an idea don't worry but this the skyscaper dweller that's all you tutor the first line of a blog to watch watches made in some chinese factory the skyscaper dweller uh, is on its way to you shortly <laughs> I, I mean i really like this watch apart from the fact that because I know a little bit about watches, it reminds me too much of the Rolex that it's based on. I think if I didn't know that that other watch existed, I think this would be the Tudor I would be instantly attracted to. But because I know that the other one from Big Brother exists, and it's kind of like, you know, the fantasy birth year watch, because, you know, 1970s, it was a good watch. I, I probably wouldn't buy this. Although I do really like stainless steel bezels like that because they scratch up really nicely. Do you happen to know if all of these photos were taken by David? There, there may have been some other ones. This one from the outside, I don't know where that came from. That could have possibly been something that they did. Because I'm looking at the one that's got the lady's hand on the article. And this has been commented. So I think this is the article most commented on in the last week. And I'm hoping that this is a Tudor stock image. Rather yeah. than like, I don't know, David's girlfriend or no, something? No, no, it's or... probably a Tudor stock image. But let me let me say something about this. And I, here's why I think it's a Tudor stock image. Because it's turning the bezel, which doesn't turn, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's clearly not the most intelligent thing. But the, the, the point is that what you can see here is this picture does a really good job of disguising the thickness of the case. The one downside to this watch is it is very thick. It's like, I think David says it's nearly 15 millimeters thick. It's a thick watch. It doesn't need to be so thick, in my opinion. I'm not sure why it's that thick. That's where Rolex wins on a lot of these things in elegance, is they make thinner watches. And that's where I don't think they'll allow Tudor to do it. I literally think they're like, wait a minute, that's thin. It looks like the Rolex don't make it so thin. It, it is thick. Probably doesn't look as thick when worn on the bracelet, but the sort of nato style strap that that tudor makes their own style is, is is quite nicely done but i think that this is a watch that probably is most intended stylistically to go with the bracelet it looks nice on the nato but i don't think it's terribly wearable on a nato i think this watch needs to be worn on the bracelet i did notice that tudor appear to have removed from their skus the steel bezeled black bay the original one so that this is now their steel bezeled sports watch because i do like it when these sort of things start to scratch up they do take on quite a bit of character and also i do like the loom they have invested a bit in producing millable loom pips rather than it being the kind of steel surrounded loom pots 
it is a nice looking watch. It's decent value. It is a bit thick. It does want to be bought in the bracelet. Don't buy this watch in anything other than the bracelet. Then just go and, you know, buy a NATO strap if it doesn't come with one. It will be a big seller for Tudor for people that don't get the, the references and don't want to be seen as just having a cheap version of a classic Rolex, I'm guessing. So go and have a look at David's article. So this week we have, as ever, a mystery guest. So mystery guest, who are you and where are you from? Good morning. I hope you're doing well or good afternoon, depending where you are. My name is Julien Tornard and I'm the CEO of uh, Zenit, this beautiful brand that uh, I guess we're going to talk about. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about the Zenith and the Caliber 135. So tell us about what this watch actually is. Well, it's, a, it's an incredible um, heritage, I would, I would say, element of our company because it's, it's a watch that was originally created in 1949, uh, just after the Second World War, we made this very special watch during 12 years. And uh, there was one which was made, I would say, a commercial version that basically was sold as a watch. And then the other calibers that we're going to talk about, the 1350, are calibers that were never supposed to be made for uh, being encased in a watch, but only to race, uh, I would say, competitions of chronometry happening mostly in Neuchâtel and Besançon. And these calibers were not prepared to be put in a, in a, in a watch case, but only for, for these competitions. And we decided, I would say a couple of years ago now, we've been working with uh, our team to uh, use some of these watches, 10 to be precise, plus one, to be basically finished by a master watchmaker, encased and sold as exceptional timepieces. Excellent. Now, this uh, caliber, the 1350, as you hinted at, was a very successful watch in winning uh, chronometer competitions, I think five years in a row. Now, just to allow you to boast, do you know who you beat into second place? No, it's difficult. We don't really know. I mean, we got some information, but not all details on that. What we exactly know, as you just said, is that we have been winning the biggest number of prizes, 230 with that particular caliber, and five years in a row. And that had never been done between 1950 and 1954. To come back to those days, I mean, those days, precision was key. Sometimes it could be life or death. I mean, you had to be precise. The watches were in planes, in trains, in, in many different things in, of life that we needed that kind of precision. And a good watch had to be the most precise one. So we really made a, a very strong statement by winning all those prizes. Why now? Why is 2022 the year that you decided to, to do this with this caliber? 2022, because you know, in, nine, in 2019, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the El Primero, this legendary chronograph movement that also won uh, many prizes. And, and when digging up in our history two years ago with uh, our friends from Philips Auction House, also Aurel Bax and Alexandre Godby, we talked about this mythical caliber talking mostly about the commercial version, I have to say. And, and at some point, we realized that we had more of the 1350 calibers than expected. And we said, okay, we're going to keep some of, of them, of course, for our heritage and our exhibitions. But we are ready to give away 10 plus 1 pieces, 11 basically movements, to make this beautiful movement alive again. And when I say alive, is that 
we could have said we keep our heritage for ourselves, but I strongly believe that the people who created these calibers would be very happy and proud to know that there are 11 lucky persons wearing these calibers. And you can have not have more um, a living caliber than when it's in a watch, on a wrist, and that's why we did it. Now, I do like the idea of using the phrase give away, although I suspect that's just because English isn't your first language <laughs> and actually you really want to sell these. Yeah, it's not free. It's not free. If you're giving them away, I will have one. <laughs> so where are we going to be able to find these? Yeah, no, what I meant is that we sacrificed. If you want, we gave, uh, not, giving, <laughs> not giving for free, but we, 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 we took some part of our heritage and usually brands that have long history, they are very reluctant to do that. But um, we decided, again, to make it fully alive. It has to be on people's wrist. So that, that's how we, we, we decided to, um, to make these, um, these calibers available. So they, they were presented last Thursday uh, evening in Geneva, uh, mostly with press. And they got presented at uh, 8 p.m. Uh, with a movie in a, in a private cinema in Geneva. And I have to tell you a bad news and a good news. The bad news is that all these 10 watches have been sold out very quickly within less than two hours. We got a lot of requests uh, on my side, on Carrie Butilainen's side, on, on Philips, of course. We basically made the selection the day after, first in, first serve, and make sure that the clients who really are looking for such special watch to keep, keep it forever kind of approach, we, we made the very tough selection over, over many, many, many more uh, requests. But the good news is that we're going to have an 11th watch that will be even more unique with a special dial, special finishing in a very special material. Also, those 10 were in platinum. That one will be in a different material. And this one will be auctioned at the end of the year in November. So in a way, it's still available, depending how fast you, um, you raise your hands. <laughs> Good stuff. And are you going to be able to give us any hints to the special material or special finish on the dial? It's not steel. It's not gold. It's not platinum. It's not titanium. What can I tell you? It's very unique. I, I promised I would not reveal, but it's something super, super special for watch. I really want to make a bioceramic joke right now, but I'll refrain. <laughs> uh, so that one piece will be, is that going to be in New York from Philips or in Switzerland or somewhere else that that will go on auction? The auction will take place in Switzerland in November. Cool. During the, uh, the November auction of Philips. And uh, of course, that will be available on the uh, on a worldwide basis with um, uh, e-bidding, and, and we're looking forward to that. I mean, we are going to talk about it to uh, to all the people who are willing to to get this watch and who couldn't access to the first uh, tenth, and, and and that will be it. But this one will be extremely, extremely special, and again, incredible work of Kari Butilainen on it. Make 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 it really unique, and and for us, it's going to be also a caliber that has been, I would say, the the best performing during the competitions. You know, they were. We're all winning many prizes, but that one was above the others. All right, okay, so it's a very particular special movement within a range of special movements. That's great. Uh, thank you for speaking to us about that. I have uh, one final question away from the normal who, what, why, where, when, and that is, is this the start of a different range of watches from Zenith? Are we going to see this kind of approach? Are we going to see a commercial one that we can see in all the Zenith stockists coming from this? Or is this an 11 watches and we're done? First of all, it's a way to give tribute to our past. And as you know, Zenith 
is a brand balancing very well the past, the present, and the future. So we will continue to give tribute to incredible times uh, from the past, but we're still a very contemporary brand, moving forward, creating new things, and I think that's what keeps our brand uh, dynamic, successful, and alive forever. Uh, this 135 caliber, 1350, we're never going to have it again. Because that, that's, that's all we have, you know, and we cannot reproduce that. We don't want to reproduce that. So that's it. 10 pieces plus one. It's never going to be done again. Then you have the 135 caliber, the commercial one that was put in watches and sold as, as, as a finished product uh, during those years. And that one could also one day re 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 come back. I mean, of course, it's, it's always possible. It's nothing in the pipe, so it's not going to happen soon. But um, that's a great caliber we're proud of. And next to the El Primero, it could be an additional uh, development in the coming years. Yes. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much for joining us today and all the best with the auction. I will, I will try and not accidentally raise my hand and pay what I'm sure will be a significant amount of money for a very special watch amongst a load of very special watches in this caliber 1350 limited edition. Thank you for joining us, Julian. Thank you very much. Take care and hopefully we meet again soon. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Bye-bye. So you should, if everything's gone according to plan, have just listened to a quick interview with Julian Tornier from Zenith. As we've not recorded it yet, we've no idea what he says. So we're kind of talking blind about this. But this is the Zenith Calibre 135 Observatoire Limited Edition watch that we're going to deal with. There's only 10 of these and there's a bit of a story as to how we got there, which again, you've hopefully just heard. But just in case you haven't, Ariel, are you in a position to refresh everyone's memory from Mike's article. This is a situation which has actually happened in the past, and it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to it. People seem to like it, which I think is surprising because this is not a new concept, but it's not common. What you have here is a watch from the 1990s, I believe, that Zenith made with sort of a, a, a chronometry-grade movement. And that's a movement that in a stable position, it's supposed to be very accurate. It's just a simple manually wound movement. It's very finely made. It's very nice. And then they had Kari Vutulainen design a dial in case to go with it, with a Zenith. It's Again, it looks like a Zenith that came out a while ago. So it doesn't look like a brand new one. It's attractive looking. We did write about it because I think it's a, a compelling pr uh, product with a lot of visual appeal. The way that they're selling it is a way that I'm not in love with. And what they've decided to do is sell the watch, which again is not a unique piece, but a limited edition through Philips, which is an auction house. And presumably they'll be auctioned off. I am patently against the practice of brand new watches being sold at auction in any type of regularity. There are interesting exceptions like the only watch, which is a charity auction. But for the most part, I am against this practice. So I think this should have been sold, you know, in the normal ch uh, chain of commerce through retailers and things like that. So I think it's a cool product for sure. You know, the name of the auction house is on the back. The level of egotism going on is well, <laughs> the egos are filling the room more and more and more. It's hard to breathe in there now. Let's put it that way. The amount of names trying to get space on this watch is, is fantastic. It's kind yeah. of ridiculous, right? You're like, what? <laughs> it's silly at this point. I think that's the easiest way to make fun of something like this is that even though the watch itself is beautiful and lovely, no one can seem to really understand the boundaries of a collaboration watch and what that should and shouldn't mean. And Again, it's an experiment. I support it for that. I just, 
I hope it doesn't become a habit. So yeah, I think we need to split this watch into two elements. One is actually the watch, and the other is actually how the concept came together, how it's being marketed, and how it's being sold. So the watch is based on some movements that were used for observatory competitions back in the day when this particular movement was a big winner. You can you can check out the details in the article, that's why it's there. Uh, and then they've taken 10 of these original movements, I think from the 1950s, and cased them up. They've done a partnership with Kari Vutalainen to design the dial. It's all very nice. It's yeah, I meant, I meant the dials look like they came from the 90s. Not the ah, right, okay. It looks great. It's a good-looking watch. Uh, but yeah... The involvement of Phillips, and it's not just the involvement of Phillips, it's not like it's got in the back Phillips, it's Phillips, Bax, and Russo. So this is presumably, I mean, is this just Oriel Bax? Probably. Just saying, well, wait a minute, I, I would like a bit of the uh, pie for actual new watch sales. It, it's not It's not the first time Rather they've done this. Rather just by percentage. Is it not? No, it's not. And and look, you can't blame them for entrepreneurialism. He obviously sells watches and things like that, and they move. But there's no discipline in the market. There's no one there to be like, you know what, Oral, could you just sell it like at retail? And, and you know what, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're not being auctioned off. But it's an auction auction house and auctioneers. Yeah. What are they going to do? Not sell it at retail? I think we need to be the disciplinarians, Ariel, keep everybody in their lane. But to be fair, you've got like media companies selling watches and, you know, used companies selling new ones and used companies owning media companies and watch brands owning... Let me tell you why. Used retailers. Everyone's crossing paths, so it's hardly a surprise. I mean, ex- <laughs> I, no, no. I, I have to explain why there's a very important reason that people don't always recognize these companies that shouldn't be selling watches that do it doesn't begin with their idea it's the watch makers themselves that cause all these problems because they say yeah yeah yeah, marketing i don't care da, 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 da. will you help me sell watches like that's all they say all the time it's like we don't understand or care but will you help us sell watches or how can you help us sell watches or i will only give you money if you help us sell watches Right. Like it always comes down to that narrow concept. And because of that, the watchmakers themselves, through their narrow mindedness to who they can work with and what those relationships look like, has bottled everyone into this small category of how can you directly immediately help me sell watches? And it's birthed a bunch of people and and practices just like this. And so do you think that this is the start of a particular relationship between Zenith or the start of a particular new line, like a chronometer line from zenith or is this just 10 watches that they can sell for lots of money and you know make everybody happy and then move on to the next thing let's get back to the defy zenith is a very practical company but also quite open-minded it's sort of like if there was a party scene zenith would be the the person who shows up at every single party like they're like everywhere how are you at every (laughs) single party um like that's their life you afford to drive to all of these parties yeah like zenith is kind of like you know this this entity that wants to do everything the experimentation they do with selling different kinds of limited editions in different ways like julian has got to be credited with being open-minded i mean he says yes to practically everything some things that arguably he shouldn't he says yes to everything And it does result in a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I don't love every limited edition Zenith at all, but there's enough of them I do like. And this is his way, in my opinion, of channeling his inner 
Jean-Claude Biver, right? He's right, a okay. disciple of Jean-Claude Biver, and everyone that learns from Jean-Claude Biver sort of takes away something. No one can be Jean-Claude. I think what, what Julian has taken is this open-mindedness to trying everything. And this is what you see. So, but a lot of the things he does, he does not repeat. If you notice, you know, while he keeps trying, you don't see a lot of the same things with the same people, da, 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 da. So, you know, this could very well be a one-off. Right. I mean, Julian's got to be one of the top three or four CEOs in the Swiss watch world at the moment in terms of their abilities, their enthusiasm, if nothing else, and actually the degree of adjustment that they've managed to make to the companies that they've got themselves involved with. They've actually made a difference. You, you can identify Julian making a difference in Zenith the way that you can, I'll not name them, some others, uh, other brands, uh, but you can also identify plenty of CEOs at brands who have just kind of ploughed exactly the same furrow that the brand's been ploughing for however many years it is. It's a lovely looking watch. It's a great story. Oh, it's a great story about the movement behind it. I'm just not convinced that we really want to see this route to market becoming a common way of retailing and selling watches. But let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to talk about a watch that neither of us, it turns out, know a great deal about. But why did knowledge ever stop people in the watch world commenting on stuff? So Mike Razak's written a great article about the Omar Piguet unveiling a Royal Oak Carolina Bushy. Is it Bushy or Bucci? Bucci Limited Edition Watch. Now, without knowing a lot about who Carolina is, without knowing... I mean, I do know a bit about the Royal Oak, but say I knew nothing about the Royal Oak then actually, see, just looking at this watch, it's stunning. I love this. This is like, I don't even know how to describe it. You need to go and look at the pictures. I'm sure everyone listening to this has probably seen them all over the internet, but it's got this kind of thin film, oil-looking approach, rainbow colours on the dial. It's something I don't recall ever seeing in a watch that, A, is 34mm, so hasn't been designed for the, you know, the main male retail market especially within the royal oak line and isn't frighteningly expensive for a limited edition now okay it's still fifty four thousand dollars but you'd probably have to pay that for an off-the-shelf used royal oak at least at the moment and this is a 300 piece limited edition at 34 mil do you think there will be a number of men looking at this watch thinking hmm could I get away with 34 mil? I don't know. I mean, I think that Audemars Piguet is a practical company. If they see that there's success, they'll make larger versions for men. A lot of brands experiment with a whole variety of materials and textures and machining techniques, all to, all to sort of see what visual properties that they can find that look good. Here you have a sort of combination of them experimenting with their sort of a difference on the sort of square pattern on the dial. And this dial that appears to sort of be slightly iridescent or, or change colors as the light hits it different ways. I've not seen it in person. I have seen other materials act this way. Rainbows are very in right now. I mean, at its core, you have a black ceramic, you know, royal oak that, as you said, is 34 millimeters aside. Gold accents in the form of the screws and then the crown for the cabochon and the, the hands and hour markers and the special dial. So it's not a remarkably different thing. It's great that you see these collaborations starting to hit the, the ladies watch space. There's been sort of an overwhelming amount for men. And here you finally have a one for women uh, by one of their female ambassadors. 
the the watch is lovely it, it's it's nothing remarkable it's something that you could replicate very easily in a less expensive watch if it's if it catches on so expect copycats very very soon it goes further to extend the conversation around Audemars Piguet and what they're doing in the community as opposed to their design philosophy. So if you're listening to this show on the Spending Time channel, then make sure you also follow us on the dedicated A Blog to Watch weekly channel. And if you're doing that, then if you use Spotify, we will stick up a question in the Spotify app. You can then answer it. And the question will be something along the lines of, do you, as a male watch buyer, now feel like wearing this 34mm watch? I have to say, I've thought about it. This, I, I love this. I, I don't have anything else to say other than I love it. Check out the article. I think it looks great. I think there will be a load of copycats uh, coming that will be kind of 1,500 quid, two grand, if they can manage to make something that looks vaguely similar to this. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, sign me up uh, and I'll, I'll maybe just go on a strictly weight loss diet to see. I don't know if actually losing weight makes your wrist thinner. I suspect it probably doesn't, but uh, I can always give it a try for my $55,000 Royal Oak. I'd like to, I'd like to see you try. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. What are you saying? Like, are you saying, I, are you saying I'm carrying some COVID weight? No, I'm saying it would be amusing <laughs> to see you shrink your wrist for the sake of wearing a ladies watch. That's the, that's the operative comedy that I'm going for there. Cool. So check out the article and go onto Spotify and tell us if you would attempt to wear a 34 mil watch. Okay, our final watch this week we're going to talk about is Fortis. And actually, as I look at this Fortis Marine Master, I see that they have already copied the <laughs> the previously discussed uh, Royal Oak <laughs> with the squares on the dial. Wait a minute, so, who copied who? This came out first. <laughs> didn't take long. <laughs> it took exactly a day and a half for Fortis to produce something. In homage okay, to with the AP Fortis, this is, this is our review, which means it had to have come out a while ago. I think it's safe to say that the Audemars Piguet designers clearly had 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 this going with them. Okay, <laughs> I, I think if we bought, wait, how much is this? Let me just quickly scroll down. This Fortis is like there's a white dialed one. And this Fortis, oh, it's a long article. Where's the, where's the price? Fortis started by being so happy we're talking about it. They're like, wait a minute. <laughs> this Fortis is two grand, uh, nearly three grand on the rubber bracelet. I think you could buy the white one, a big pack of Crayola. And I think if you shaded it in right, you could probably create your own homage to the Royal Oak we just talked about. You want a machine, a Fortis Marine Master to look more like a Royal Oak. That's what we're going to I think, at. well, you see these people take these, like, Seikos and make them look like Deep Seas and 5711s and stuff. So What are you going to call it? The Oak Master? Like, what are you going to call the it? Oak, the Oak Master. There we go. From the people that brought you Casio. Oak. <laughs> uh, we bring you the Oak Master. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I like this. I'm a big Fortis fan. Not big enough to have ever bought one, but I do like their watches. They they seem to get hold of the zeitgeist of what's going on at the same time as bearing some originality of doing things that are, you know, not just straight copies of something else. So I quite like this uh, Marine Master. Have you seen one of these in the flesh? I've seen some of the newer generation Fortises, not this exact one. This was by uh, one of the contributors on the blog to watch team. I will say that if you're only familiar with some older generation Fortis timepieces, the new generation ones are much 
better products, better made, new heft to them, really a different type of high-end product. So I encourage you looking at it. It's not just the Marine Master. There's a few others in the collection that do that, but they, they are very different products than I think you, you remember. And, and they, I think they do merit uh, the price points. You got great colors here, very friendly. I, you know, a, in a way, this is sort of an alternative to what Doxa does, right? Yeah. Because they take this sort of like fun retro sport watch design and just make something so casual and nice out of it. It just depends what you like. You know, it's this or it's, uh, you know, maybe, you know, Squale is another one that sort of has some designs that look like this. I mean, this is the most popular category of, of luxury watch, which is this sort of like one to $5,000, maybe to $10,000 if you want to include a lot of Omega and Rolex, casual sport watch for every day. And what people are finding right now is that they're, they're sick of having black, silver, and blue dial ones that adding a green or a red or a yellow or an orange or a lighter blue color is something fun and maybe have a few of them. And I think that's that's how a lot of people's you know collections are evolving. They might not have all five colors of the Marine Master, but that might be their, you know, their olive green watch. And then they, they have to go get another shade of green. So people's watch collections right now, I think are increasingly running the gamut of different colors. People are like, oh, I like these sport watches and I don't have a watch in that color. Sort of like, I don't have shoes in that color maybe it's worth getting. And I think that's where a lot of this color differentiation is still working well right now. Eventually people will have one watch in every single color and, and that'll be that. Yeah, is is this just burning out slowly? That yeah, if you've got a black dialed watch and you've got a white dialed watch and you've got a blue and you still want to buy more watches, then yeah, you go and you buy colors. But as you say, eventually everyone's going to have a color of something else because they're probably not spending... I mean, okay, there will be people who are spending serious cash on colorful watches, whether it be Richard Mille or Rolex or even high-end Omega. For most people, they'll maybe have like a, an expensive... Or most people. For a few lucky people, they'll maybe have like an expensive Rolex, a really nice dress watch, but they're not going to spend the same amount of money in completing their collection of colors so they'll buy a fortis they'll buy a doxa they'll buy some micro brand that's a color but eventually once they've got the green one and the pink one and the orange one it just stops so do we think that this is a going to be for a season that two three years from now all of these watches that are just going for different colors it's just going to be back to new ranges that are simply black white and blue yeah that's gonna happen exactly what you said yeah okay that's good to know <laughs> so there is two brands of this there's the m40 and the m44 the m40 is 200 meters of water resistant and the 44 which is obviously 44 mil over 40 mil is 500 meters I, i'm a bit confused in that i originally thought wait a minute those pushers are really close to the crown but in fact it's just crown guards that really look like pushers but obviously they don't push. It's not an integrated bracelet as such or rubber band, but I suspect it is specific to the Fortis. So it appears to be some sort of screw system. I'm not sure that the article actually tells you how replaceable this watch would be with other kinds of strap or other kinds of, of rubber strap from third party. But the reality is that the square etching on the dial is also continued onto the rubber band. So you really need to wear this with the rubber band that comes with the watch. I don't think it makes a lot of sense swapping out for other stuff. No, you could though, you could. 
You could. You could. You know, is it traditional spring bars that are somehow have a screw finish on them? Well, okay. So uh, what you have is it's it's sort of a, a lug structure where it looks like the the, the strap goes into the case uh, behind. It sort of attaches from behind. It's it's not common, but this is done. And you can see that the strap that it comes with is a really sort of big, thick strap. So I wouldn't have too much worry about replacing with other straps because, again, the one that comes with is very, very thick. You are entirely correct that the pattern on the strap matches the dial, so it would be kind of silly to swap it out with something else. But if you wanted to, I think it's just a matter of having the double screwdriver on, on each end of the lugs there and unscrew. It. I don't recall exactly if they supply a tool. They probably do so that you could uh, swap out the strap uh, and the bracelet if you had both of those. Yeah, this looks like the strap system might work a bit like a Panerai strap system works. It has that kind of look of it. I can see on the back of the watch there's an arrow for the side you're supposed to press. So I assume that's what it's telling me. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that so the release system that way. Yeah, there's all kinds of funky little systems now. You used to have to have tools. I still remember a lot of those. But the one you're talking about here looks like it has one side that you have to unscrew, which makes it more simple. So yeah, it, it's great to notice that. And again, these are 21 millimeter wide straps. So that's an unusual size. Mm, I think I'd probably go for... Oh, why not? A touch of orange uh, in the strap choice. You know, you can't go wrong with an orange watch, really. You can't. I mean, you can. You can. But we'll assume that you can. So go and check out Fortis. Have a look at the website for Fortis as well while you're at it. There are some great watches there. It has this kind of slight... I would say it's maybe a couple of years behind where a brand like Zinn is in terms of people just understanding what they do but watches like the space traveler are just phenomenal pieces of engineering so i, I think we'll probably see fortis you know really take the stage even more so than they are just now what's the ownership structure is, is it a family ownership is it owned by a big group do you are you aware there is a relatively new ownership at fortis i have an event coming up with them in a few months where if all goes to plan, I will be going to Sweden with them to launch one of those rockets that's carrying their watch movements or watches in it for them to fly near space and come back down and claim that <laughs> be sold as watches that went to space. And I will, and I will ask all those important questions because I do know that it's new, but I, I'm not intimately familiar with all the people that are, are part of it right now. Well, immediately after we've recorded this, I'm going to be starting to, beg Ariel to take me with him to Sweden because I really like Sweden <laughs> so and I really like rockets so it seems like a match made in heaven so there we go that is our show for this week what are you up to in the week ahead Ariel well like I said going going to Vegas and then there's Vegas a, baby there's a Vacheron Constantin event here in LA and then um, I will also be learning I believe in the next week or two what Sasha Morai who was recently at Carla Bucherer, he has has left uh, for some mm. interesting reasons after being there a long time. And Sasha is someone I've known for quite a while and, and, and seen him through a, a lot of his time there. So he will be uh, announcing what he's doing next, and uh, I should get that information pretty pretty early on. Do you care to guess? No, I, 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 I never try to guess in these matters. It's sort of pointless. 
Uh, I just sort of remain remain open minded, and and I, I feel very fortunate. They're excited about telling me that they want me to know. They want to share the details with me personally. So cool. I, I'll be there for the surprise. Excellent. So there you go. So do check out the show. Do leave us a review on whatever podcaster you're using do check out the a blog to watch youtube channel as well and obviously a quick shout out to ryan reynolds uh, so other than that that's us for this week <laughs> i thank you for listening goodbye bye everyone <laughs>